So we're learning Parsha's Vayero, and it's the Rebbe's teaching from this week's Parsha. And um, it was from Tavshin Nunbeis, which says 1992 here. It's really 91-92, in 91 into 92. So it's like November time of 91. And so this week's Parsha, just a summary before we get into the actual text, is the begins with the appearance of God to Abraham. God appears to Abraham on the day after he did the circumcision. He circumcised himself. 99 years old, gave himself a bris milah. Gave himself a dangerous surgery. And says that Abraham was told by God to do it, but he realized you're not supposed to, God forbid, hurt yourself in a mitzvah or kill yourself, God forbid. And so God held his hand, so to say, to do the bris. God held his hand. God escorted him through the mitzvah. And then God appears to him. And it says this teaches us something beautiful about what's called Bikr Chelim. One of the famous mitzvahs is visiting the sick. There's actually a mitzvah just visiting a sick person. In fact, if you go to most hospitals in the New York area, there's, you'll see a room maybe with Hebrew writing or Yiddish writing, it says Bikr Chelim, which means the visiting the sick room. And it's, they'll have kosher treats in there, maybe they'll have a mincha minyan, like minyan in there, they'll have tea for people visiting the sick, and they'll stock the fridge with kosher goodies and everything like this. So anyone who wants to come in, Unfortunately, I've done quite a few hospital visits, and uh, they always show me, Rabbi, you're here for the Bikr Chelim room, or this and that, and usually I don't take advantage of it, because I'm just visiting, you know, one time or a couple times, and I don't, you know, but they have food and coffee and tea and all kosher and everything, and sometimes a minion, they also have some books. And so, uh, Satmar is actually very big into Bikr Chelim. The women auxiliary of Satmar Hasidim are very into Bikr Chelim. They run a lot of the rooms in the hospitals for Jewish patients, for kosher food, for uh, mothers who give birth, and this kind of thing, to do it. So where do we learn this mitzvah from? We learn from God himself. God himself visited Abraham when he was sick, after the surgery, after the circumcision. So we see Hashem does the mitzvahs too. We learn this from God, that whatever mitzvahs we do, God's doing too. God doesn't demand something of us that he doesn't do himself. So it says... God puts the fill in. There's a famous teaching that uh, the Bar Mitzvah boys learn, that they give over, that there's a discourse about how God puts on fill in too, and what does it mean? Very complex teaching. But just understand, Moses has to see God, and God says, no one can see me face to face and live. So the teaching is, God showed the back of the tefillin to Moses. If you ever see the knot on the back of the tefillin, that goes on the back of the head, it's a very complex knot. It's like very hard to tie. And so uh, Moses asked God, like, what is that knot? And he showed him, like, the knot that I put on also. What do I know that means? I don't know what it means to see the back of God. I don't see the front of God. I don't know what that means, really. But it knows, it showed that you showed that way to Moses, and I'm definitely not on that level to be able to see the back side of God's head. But that's what it says. But this week's parsha teaches us right away that God visited the sick of Abraham, and this is a mitzvah for us too. God does the mitzvahs we do. So, when we learn the parsha of the week of Abraham, comes a very, very famous story that the fifth Chabad Rebbe, you have the pictures here on the page actually, the fifth one is on the right with the black hat, and his grandfather is on the left with the white uh, robe, the white robe. And when the Rebbe Rashab, the one in the black, on the right-hand side, was a young boy of five or six years old, four or five years old, I think, he came to his grandfather crying during this week's Parsha. He said, Zaidi, grandfather, 
how come God doesn't appear to me? I learned in this week's Parsha that God appeared to Abraham. How come he doesn't appear to me also? And his grandfather answered him. It sounds like a, a funny answer, but it's a very deep answer. Is that when a righteous man decides at the age of 99 years old to circumcise himself, it makes sense that God should appear to him. <laughs> Literally meaning to say that Abraham was a special person. Abraham was a special uh, sadiq, special righteous man. And that only if he's a sadiq and he decides to do such a very, very intense thing on his own, then he deserves that God should appear to him. And one of the beautiful things is, is that the boy was sincere in his question. I mean, say, the answer kind of makes sense. Like, you know, listen, Abraham's a special person. He did a special act. He was unique. There was no one like him who was like 99 years old to do such a thing. I mean, it's unbelievable. Sac- like, risked himself in a very deep way and connected himself to Hashem. So he deserves. But the Rebbe focuses on it interestingly to say, how could the boy even have that question? Like even a five-year-old says, I know I'm learning about Abraham, how great he is. I'm learning about Moses, how great he is. I'm learning about Sarah, what she did. Amazing. I get it. Five-year-olds get that, especially a, a future Rebbe. So why was he asking? Like why was he crying? It's, the Rebbe expresses that he was so troubled that God's not appearing to him. He felt frustrated by the fact that Hashem was not appearing to him. And so, this is a lesson for all of us, is that we also have that sincerity to express that things are not right in the world unless we see Hashem. It's an amazing teaching if you think about it. Like meaning to say, all of our phobias, all of our issues, all of our frustrations, all of our indecision makes so much sense. Like it makes sense. Why? Because we don't see Hashem. If we saw God, there would be a healing. There would be uh, some sort of a, a visceral experience that would make us feel at, at peace with who we are totally. And until we feel that peace, that tranquility that, that would have, there's something wrong in the world and we shouldn't be okay with it. We should say, like, listen, Hashem, you're the one who made me. You made me with my fr- flaws, my frailties, my, you put me in the situation I'm in in life. I'm not only the making of my own destiny. God, you put me in a situation. You put me with the family, the genetics, the whatever you want to call it. You put me in the circumstances I find myself in. And I demand from you, Hashem, show yourself to me. I demand to see you. And so, although I'm not Abraham, although I'm not a Sadiq, I'm not 99 years old, I'm not circumcising myself, all those considerations, but every Jew has to have that innate feeling that I should have God. And if I don't have God, things are not right in the world. And this story illustrates to us that that's the natural approach a Jew should have. A person should be frustrated by the concealment of our Creator. A Jew should be frustrated by turmoil on some level to say, like, this is not okay. The status quo shouldn't remain for me. And so... That's one of the deeper answers. That the question really is, that's one thing. But the question is, is that how do we really learn out the answer also? Like, we analyze the boy's problem. That, like, resonates. 
or should resonate with us. Like say, listen, like I shouldn't accept the status quo. But then how do I recognize the second part of the story, which is Avraham's a righteous man. Avraham was 99, he was old and he did a bris on himself at 99 years old. I mean, how does that relate to me? Like, it's not just enough to question on the first part. It's the second part. Does it make sense? Yeah? Okay. So we're going to have to contrast two different wordings in Arsha. So if you see the text on page 60, I'll say it in Hebrew and I'll, I'll say it in English. Vayera Havaya el Avraham. Vayera alav Havaya. What is it? You see to hear the difference. But one is, and God, I'll put it this way, and God appeared to Abraham. And the second sentence is, he appeared, it appeared to him, Hashem. Let me go back to it. Let me say it again. God appeared to Abraham. And the other is God appeared to him. I'll make it simpler. God appeared to him. We don't use Abraham's name in the second text. The second text does not have God's name in it. Abraham's name. Yeah, I'm sorry, what did I say? Yeah, Abraham's name in it. Both texts have God's name, but one does not have Abraham's name. One uses the pronoun him rather than Abraham. Okay? So, what does it show us? That when we say that Hashem appeared to Abraham, that was in last week's Parsha. In this week's Parsha, it says God appeared to him, uses the pronoun. The pronoun shows direct, direct. When we use the name, it shows on a, a name is not the essence of a person. The name is a title, a term, a term of connotation, a term of demarcation for the person. But when we say appeared to him, to Abraham, a love, using the word a love to him, it's showing there's a direct, Avraham at that point had become a full-on vessel for God, a, a full-on conduit. It's almost like, I'll put it this way, it's not, this is not exact, but God, Avraham was taken out of the equation. It was just him. It was just a conduit, right? No one ever is like, you know, like you get on the highway and you're like, the con like South Conduit Boulevard. <laughs> like it's like, just like, if you ever go on that road, it's like literally just like, a, like they just built this to connect two places. It's not really a good, it's not like a nice road. It's not a well-built road. It's not it's never paved. It's like, it's a conduit. It's like, you just use it for, it's a means to an end. It's not the end and it's not the goal itself. It's not, the, it's not the initial thing and it's not the end. It's like this middle port. Abraham was that. Abraham was so sublimated, so such a conduit to God at this point, after the bris, that we don't use his name anymore. He internalized, he was ready to internalize such a supreme level of godly loftiness that when God appears to him, it's like there's God and this man. It's God and this vessel for godliness. It wasn't like there's Abraham, and now God's appearing to Abraham. It's rather God appeared to him. God and him, it's almost like one, one shot, one thing. Does that make sense? So when we had last week's parsha in Lech Lecha, he had not yet had a bris when God appeared to him. At this point, God, God appears to him immediately after the bris, indicating that the bris, the circumcision, elevated him to the point where he was able to accept a higher level of revelation, and he himself was completely a vessel 
for the higher revelation. Another thing it says is, it says that God appeared to him while he was sitting in the heat of the day. What happened in the Parsha? Avraham had the bris, and most people would be inside in the shade recovering. And Avraham was sitting outside his tent in the heat of the day, noonday sun, hot desert sun. It says, what was he doing? He was waiting for guests. Avraham was the kindest of the kind, the sweetest of the sweet. And he felt incomplete when he was not doing the mitzvah of welcoming in guests. Welcoming in guests is called Hachnosis Erchim. Another mitzvah in this week's parsha we learned from Abraham. Welcoming guests is the essential Jewish mitzvah. It says Abraham, the kid song. Abraham's tent was open north, east, south, and west. Abraham and Sarah's tent was open to guests. They had openings on four sides. And anyone who could come in, just came in. And, uh, you know, it's like to say about uh, Crown Heights is like the uh, Jewish hospitality capital of the world. And if you ever need a place for Shabbat in Jerusalem, you just walk into someone's house. Shabbos dinner, <laughs> like friends and strangers and family members across generations. I just did a thing at the Holocaust Museum. And uh, this woman told me this amazing story. She was a Shabbos guest in this house, so she didn't know. And it turns out it was like her cousin. <laughs> like, you know, it's like one of these amazing stories that you hear only in Jerusalem. These things happen because Jews are so wonderful about welcoming in guests. We are so, have so ingrained in us from Abraham and Sarah that we have this. So Avraham had had a circumcision. And he wasn't thinking about himself, he was thinking about guests. And why? it wasn't only that he was like, this is a mitzvah, I gotta do it, okay. He was saying like, I'm incomplete, I'm not happy having guests. And God came to visit him, visit the sick. And God was basically like, come on, like, you know, go back inside. <laughs> like, you don't have to do it. He said, like, no, I'm incomplete. So God sent him three messengers, the famous three messengers who look like Arabs, but they're really angels. And these like a baby with wings, like, like spiritual energy forces. One of these energy forces was to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, destroy those two cities. The other angel was to um, heal Abraham. And the other was to announce the birth of his baby boy, Isaac, Yitzchak. I think the third, second was for, yeah, healing. And these angels were messengers of God, but Abraham treated them like anybody else one of the interesting things is is what did he serve them what did abraham and sarah serve them tongue 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 the first kosher jewish deli what was it on mustard they had bread she sarah baked bread abraham shechted a uh, cow and they had mustard seed mustard seed is like expensive spices in the desert now, you don't just get a Jewish deli in the middle of the desert. You got to go. Now there's no more Jewish. No, I, mean, I guess Regal Catering stayed open. I heard about that. <laughs> you heard about that? That's good. I was very happy to hear that. A Latino guy bought it. I was like, that's, that's great. I was going to buy it. If you didn't buy it, I was going to turn a Glock kosher. It was amazing. I love that place. I just remember that place in Plainview. Like, you know, they got your matzo bowl soup. The, the waitress like smoking cigarettes while she served you. Like, like hot dogs and pastrami. And I love that. Ah, oh, Regal Deli was the best. I've been over the page, like right uh, down the street from there. Mm -hmm. The best. I love Regal Deli. I just remember that place just being like... It was always old. It was always... It was never... You're right. It was never new. It was always like you felt like you're stepping back in time. Like in the 80s, you're in the 50s. And like the 2000s, you're in the 80s. And the, you know, it was never... It never caught up. It never caught up. It was like... I think it was like the last like, restaurant you were allowed to like smoke in. Like, you know, it was like ashtrays on the table and stuff like that. But anyway, why do we eat, why do we eat deli meat and mustard on rye bread? 
this story, it's like literally, it says in the in Torah, it says that they, they said service. So Avram opened the first Jewish and also opened the first Chabad house, right? Every Chabad house, how do you get people in? Delicious food. Delicious food wins the day. I know, Mitch, you only come from my class, but delicious food, my wife's cooking, supersedes everything. So guests in. And so Avraham fed them. And it says that he sat in the heat of the day. So Kabbalistically, what does that mean? It says, This is a discourse we say, I have said it four times. Why? We say it when we have a bris of a son. We use this teaching of this week's Parsha, and the father customarily says a word of Torah at his son's bris. And this is what we say. We teach this, that Avraham, because he was outside in the heat of the day, means he was able to withstand the full revelation of God. When we say heat, means energy. When we say day, it means light, like or like visibility, appearance. And he sat. What did he sit? Well, he had a bris. <laughs> he's not good. You know, he's not doing jumping jacks. But what does it say? He sat. So usually, if you look in holy occurrences, we stand in synagogue by Ne'ilah, the holy prayer of Yom Kippur. It's customary to stand. If you can, the whole Ne'ilah. If you can't, you can sit. But the ark remains open and we stand the whole time. Then when, when Moses saw the burning bush, he was standing and then he bowed down. But he stood. So each one of the things, it shows that standing is holy. Kohen in the holy temple. A Kohen, he stands the whole time. Stands. So Avram was sitting. What does it mean? He was on such a high level. He was able to internalize the godly revelation that he experienced. In the Hebrew, Meyushav, he was, he was settled, he was seated, and that he was able to internalize and not be thrown by the intensity of the godly light that was becoming apparent to him. I mean, can you imagine God visiting you after you're... I can't imagine what that's like. I don't know, but that's amazing. And God actually appeared to him, and he was a conduit and internalized it. He took it in. He took it in. He wasn't overwhelmed by it. Like, by the Torah giving... All the Jewish people were so overwhelmed that they like couldn't take the revelation at Sinai initially. But Avram here is calm, sitting. So what caused this? What, where did he get the power? Where did he get it from? And the answer is from the bris. The bris mila is what gave him the ability to fully be a conduit and also be tranquil and be calm and internalize God's revelation. It says that the mitzvah of a bris stands above all the other mitzvahs. It stands above all the other mitzvahs. And it says the mitzvahs of the Torah were struck by three acts of covenant. And with the bris mila was 13. It was like literally 13 covenants in one covenant. Why? Because the bris mila is the only mitzvah that actually leaves a mark on the physical body. Actually leaves a mark. Once person has a bris can't be changed can't take it off i mean you know you can say well a beard well god forbid a person you know like shave a beard you know or or you know wear a yarmulke it's still like it's not part of me of who i am it's still external to my experience but the bris itself is actually in kabbalah we learn that it's actually like a letter engraved on your body it's actually like a letter and it's god's name it's a yud it's actually a name of god engraved on the person. I believe it is a Yud on the person. And it's an everlasting covenant. 
And it doesn't make sense. It's beyond comprehension. It's actually uniting the spiritual and the physical. Because if you think about it, before this was, what, a thousand years before the Torah was given. There's no such thing as physical spirituality or spiritual physicality. Meaning to say, before the Torah was given, heaven and earth were different realms that didn't connect. They didn't connect with each other. Heaven remained up there. Spiritual remained up there. Physical remained down here. And the two didn't connect. Once the Torah was given, now we have this, this bond that when you put tefillin on, it's holy. And even after you take it off, it's holy. When it falls on the ground, God forbid, you give it a kiss because it's a holy object. The book falls on the ground, the Torah book, you give it a kiss, it's a holy object. Before the Torah was given, that's not the way. When Avraham would put tefillin, Afterwards, you could put it in the garbage. It sounds like so, like anti, it's like counterintuitive to who our spiritual sensibilities are today. But objects were not holy. People were holy and could do holy things. Actions were holy. But when a person was involved in the action, there was no permanence of the bond between spiritual and physical. There was no material thing. There was no Torah scroll that was holy. A person could write the Torah words and put it out in the garbage, put it down, just like bury it, throw it on the ground. Didn't matter. Words were not inherently holy at that time. What was that? It's a, it's a fascinating thing. And it's very, it explains a lot of, of our Judaism today to understand that we are making a dwelling place for God in this world. That like my actions have value and have merit and have impact on the physical world I find myself in. So when I take leather, and use it for tefillin, I'm uplifting the cow, I'm uplifting the, the uh, water and whatever is the, the chemicals for the ink and the parchment and the scribe's hands are involved in the human experience. So I'm uplifting the plant world and I'm uplifting the animal world and I'm uplifting the inanimate world of water and, uh, and the human experience of actually putting them on and writing them. So I'm taking from all corners of creation and I'm uniting them, I feel that at divine, there's a divine energy that's conveyed by putting on to in the right way. But when Abraham was alive, he did not have that experience. He only did it when he, when he was involved, it happened. And it, one of the proofs for this is, is that Judaism back then was according to the father. If your father was Jewish, you were Jewish. But guess what? If you didn't behave like your father, you weren't Jewish anymore. Meaning to say it wasn't according to the soul-body connection. It was merely according to the soul's actions in this world. You understand? Meaning to say, where, what makes me Jewish? My mom's Jewish. My mother's 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 Jewish. Because a Jewish mother conveys a soul and body connection. The, the soul is nurtured from God. And the body is nurtured in the mother. And when the baby is born, it's put together and you have life. You have a Jew. Before the Torah was given, Judaism went according to the Father. Why? Because the Torah was given, Judaism went by the Father. It was merely a soul. It was a soul connection, right? You need husband and wife to make baby, mom and dad so to make was, baby. So um, was Abraham's son by um, Hagar Jewish? Mm -mm. Ishmael was not Jewish. Why? He was the root of the Arab world. His father was Jewish. His mother was not Jewish, but eventually later she converted back. She became Jewish later in life. 
she changed her name. She became a, con a convert. Um, Ketura, her name became Ketura. But um, the point is, he went off the way. Ah, that's what you said. So when he stopped acting as he should, he lost it. Got it. So the father does not create permanence. I got it. The mother creates, creates permanence. permanence. The mother is the bond. The mother is the bonding, spiritual and physical. Soul, body. The father is merely spiritual. So by then, I mean, Abraham could have had, he had other wives. And they had kids. And they weren't Jewish. Why? Because there was no physical bond. There was only a spiritual bond. Father gives forth seed. Mother accepts, carries baby for nine months. And that's body. Mom is involved in body. But she's soul body because you need a soul and a body. You can't just have body either. But Abraham's time, there's just soul. So the soul-body connection was only as permanent as the person made it to be. As spiritual as they were. As quote-unquote Jewish, religious as they were. That's what mandated their their derech, their pathway through life. So Yishmael up until his bar mitzvah. Okay. And he behaved like his father. The minute he went off, he's not Jewish anymore. Some opinions say he did do tshuva later in life. He did return. Others say not, but his children were not Jewish because he had, he had them when he's that way. In fact, we see one of the interesting things is about Sarah. Sarah told Avraham, you got to send Hagar and Ishmael away. Why? Because they were a bad influence on Isaac. Isaac was a Jewish boy, born to a Jewish mother and Jewish father. Even though we could, time would tell if he'd follow the ways of his father, God had guaranteed that through Sarah. And she had said, He's going to be a Jewish boy. We can't have this bad influence in our home. And Avraham was like, no, no, he's cool. <laughs> you know, Avraham was a kindness personified. And God said, you have to listen to your wife. She's a higher prophet than you. We have to listen to our wife. Sarah, the first Jewish man, the first Jewish wife, the wife won the argument. And they sent him away. And Sarah was a higher prophet than Avraham. It teaches her prophecy level was higher than Avraham, superseded Avraham's prophecy. So one of the interesting things is, is that this shows on the lack of permanence of spiritual and physical. Because when, and so even um, Isaac's son, Yitzchak's son, Esau, Esau was not, did, clearly did not behave according to his father's way. In fact, he manipulated his father very deeply. And when he didn't follow his way, he was not Jewish anymore. His father even told him, marry, don't marry these girls. He married those girls. Like everything, he, like it was, it was a conflict. And so we, we see that the spiritual and physical. So what, what, going back to our original premise, what was the only holy thing in the world? The place of the bris milah, The place of circumcision. The place of circumcision began the fusion of spiritual material. Began the, the connection between heaven and earth. And where did it come from? The place of procreation, where we procreate from. And a place of, that we should be recovered. And a place that this is a place of holy and sanctity. This is a godly place. It's to be respected. Treated with like a utmost respect. And if we see, when the forefathers had to make oaths, when they had to make promises, it says, put your hand under my thigh. By Jacob's passing, each passing, they made a, had to make an oath. And that's what they were saying. Just like, Today, if a person has to make an oath, we don't do it really, but they should hold a Torah scroll. Where do you have to take Lahavil in non-Jewish courts? Put your hand on the Bible. Where do you think it comes from? Uh, it comes from the Torah. 
when there's a Jewish court, a sovereign in Israel 2,000 years ago, when there's a holy temple standing, and a person had to make an oath. There's different levels of oaths, but the highest level of oath is holding a Torah scroll while the person makes a promise or a swear. And that is the oath that they make. Before there was a Torah scroll that was holy, what was holy? Under the thigh. It's holy. Any question? So one of the interesting things is, that's where it comes from today. Put your hand on the Bible, like you're swearing on the Bible. What do you think? They made that up. <laughs> they got it from us. So the point is, is that you have to hold a holy object in order to make an oath. Because then it's like, what is your oath? It's oath, I can just say whatever I want. Oh, okay, I'll say my words. That's just like the spiritual version of myself. When I have to hold something spiritual and material, something that is, quote unquote, holy, then my words, I feel there's a connection, a power. Then whatever I think sp feels spiritually has to be brought down in physically, and I'm culpable for whatever I say at that point. <clears throat> so here's the innovation. So the innovation of the bris is a coming about a holiness, not only into the body, but also into the physical world. Because the covenant of the circumcision is connected to the covenant of the giving of the land of Israel. As it says, the bottom of 61, to give you the inheritance by this mitzvah, giving the strength to turn the physical land of Canaan into the physical land of Israel. The land which desires to perform the divine will, that the world becomes a dwelling place for Hashem. That said that already, I gave it away. That our job, what does it mean for us? Our job is the world, a dwelling place for God. And it started with the bris. The bris was the beginning, and Israel was the, was the beginning also. When, remember, we had two times God appeared to Abraham. One was by Israel, one was by bris. These two co are co-joined, deeply connected, one to the other. The covenant that I promised Israel to you, Avram, God says to Avram, and then he says, I promise to you and your descendants forever and ever. He says, I just promised your descendants. Every Jew owns Israel. We talked about it last week and the week before. We uh, last week, we said that God gave Israel to every Jew. Every inch of it belongs to every Jew. You can't give away your inch unless you get every Jew to agree that you can give away your inch. Because it's really their inch too. Every Jew gets it and gets the land of Israel. But what was the motive? What was the power? What was the power that they had the ability to transform a land of Canaan? A land that is vapid and empty and, and desolate into the land of Israel? is because of the bris milah, the circumcision. And that is our job today. Our job today, we might not live in Israel, but because we are children of the covenant of Abraham, of the covenant of Israel, and the covenant of the circumcision, we are able to take the loftiness of our Torah and reach the physical body and, the, and our world, our physical world, and our sphere of influence, and show that the spiritual and physical are two interdependent forces, not two disparate forces. Specifically saying that the highest high can come down into the lowest low. That the spiritual energies of the highest high can come down. And if you ask me, what is the meaning of life? Like uh, Ben Shapiro was asked by Lex Friedman. You know who Lex Friedman is? Lex Shapiro? Lex Friedman is this, like, he's a Jewish guy, clearly, Lex Friedman. And uh, he's like a think tank guy. He's a MIT engineer, and he's a Harvard this, and he's a he runs a podcast. Very interesting stuff. And he's he's a secular guy. And uh, he has Ben Shapiro, who's a religious, political pundit, new philosopher type guy. So what's the meaning of life? Interesting clip. And uh, Ben Shapiro got it. Almost got it. He almost got it. He almost got there. He said a very good answer. I agreed with his answer for the most part. 
but the, the core element of what he was missing was this answer. The meaning of life is to make a dwelling place in this world for God. That God should be found not only in shul on Yom Kippur, God should be found on a Thursday in traffic. God should be found in the lowest low. That not only when you're doing a mitzvah are you godly and Jewish, but when you're living your life, all your ways you know God, and in every action that you have, you are connecting to Hashem. That God wants a residency, so to say, in this world. And God could push His way in, but He'd rather have you as a participant and a partner in making His residency felt in this world. God engendered us, and really animals too, and plant life also, and inanimate life as well, as to be part and parcel of essential cogs in His not just physical creation, but spiritual worlds also. That God wants that this world comes, becomes a dwelling place for Hashem. It says very famously in uh, the Book of Kings that the head... The Book of Kings is in the, in, the, in the books of prophecy. The Book of Prophecy. Of uh, prophets, you have, the, you have the writing, you have pro Nevi'im, Ksuvim, Torah, Nevi'im, Ksuvim. Torah, prophets, and writings. So a book of writings would be the book of Esther would be a writing. The book of Talim, Psalms, is a writing of King David. The book of prophets is the book of Kings, the book of, of um, Shmuel, Samuel, the book of uh, Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu, all the prophets and prophets and prophets. So the book of Kings is really the book of the period of, uh, of Saul and Samuel, the prophet at the time, David and Solomon. Those are the general kings. But it says like this in the book there, Heavens in the very heights of the heavens cannot contain you. Only the holy temple down here on earth can contain you. Because from there, light spreads to the entire world. Wait a second. Don't you think that the higher highs should, that are much more in proximity to God should be able to contain? And she goes, no. Why? Because to be simple about it, they overflow, overflowed, overflowed into this world. I mean, you say you fill the cup up. What happens to the water? It goes over the edge. It flows down. So here you have, uh, what's the point of the down? It's not just to catch the remnants. It's to catch the top, the fat, the best. To catch the best of the best. So the complete manifestation of God's true existence is when an infinite is found in a finite. Infinite and infinite? Okay, who cares? If I have uh, 36 ounces of, of water and I have three 12-ounce cups, and I pour it into the cups, and it all goes to the top. Is it surprising to you? It's not surprising. You, they all go into the cups. Makes sense, totally. But if I take 100 ounces and pour it into three 12-ounce cups, like, how did I make that happen? My goodness, wow, what did you do? Like, sleight of hand, some kind of trick. How did you do that? How did that happen? And the answer is, that's what God wants. God wants that we're able, not through trick or sleight of hand, but through mitzvahs, through this amazing co-joining of spiritual and physical, to be able to make this world a dwelling place for Hashem. To make an infinite God, a hundred ounce God, fit into a 12 ounce cup. And that shows God's really infinite, because then there's not, no barriers to Him. Even the measurements, there's no barriers. Even the frailties of the human experience is not a boundary to Him. Even the coarseness of inanimate objects is not a boundary to him. And then he who has the power to create literally something from nothing depends on us who create something from something to make a dwelling place for him.
He depends on us. Who are like clearly limited. It says very famously that if you got all the astronomers, physics, physics professors, scientists, artists, whoever you want, the brilliant of the brilliant, the best of the best, in a room with no equipment, with no supplies, with no anything, they couldn't even create the wing of a fly. They need something. An artist needs his clay, his paintbrushes, his, his medium by which to create art. A scientist needs his, you know, um, laboratory. You need tools to observe. You need uh, DNA to make. You need whatever you need to make. You need stuff to make stuff. God doesn't need stuff to make stuff. God made stuff out of him, sort of saying. And so it shows us that like Hashem creates something from something, but he left it up to a people who create only something from something to make his dwelling place here in this world. To be able to reveal his infinitude in a finite realm. There's literally thousands of pages of Hasidus written on this, so I'm not going to go into it at length. And it's very, very heady stuff. But just to understand it from this context, that we now understand that Hashem appeared to him is a much higher level than appearing just to Avraham. Because what does it say also? When we talk about him, we're also referring to every Jew. If we just said to Avraham, it's not saying Hanan. It's not saying Rabbi in there. It doesn't say Yitzchak. It says Avraham. That's why, interestingly, when God promises Israel to Abraham, he promises it almost twice, like twice. He says to you and your descendants, and he says, I promise to your descendants. Because then it's ours only. It's not through only Avraham. It's through Avraham, for sure. And it's through Yitzchak, and through Yaakov, and through Sarah, and Re Rebecca, and Rachel, and Leah, for sure. But it's also to us innately. Like, it's up to, it's up to us to acquire the land also. It's, it's our birthright as well. It's not just Avram's birthright. Them, oh, my grandfather's birthright was this. You know? Like every kid that inherits a business ruins it, right? <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> but, you know, you know, Hal Steinbrenner is no, uh, is no George Steinbrenner. You know what I mean? So it's like, really, like, every kid like, you know, takes the father's business. And uh, I don't know. Actually, I spoke to somebody. It's just thing. He actually said he built his father's business bigger. He was in the uh, liquor distribution. His father did really well, and he took it to the next level. He said, I didn't want to just be one of these kids that uh, rested on my uh, family's uh, whatever. Point being, God promised Israel to us. And then when God says, I appeared, he doesn't say I only appeared to Abraham. He says, I appeared to him. And him is a pronoun, right? A love, we in the Hebrew, a love to him. So it says it's for every single Jew. And every single Jew has the mitzvah of a bris. Every single Jew has the ability through the bris to demand Hashem appear to me I'm not cool with status quo and if God says to you what do you have the right who says you who says that you you deserve such a thing he says ah, Hashem I have a bris <laughs> you gave me the bris I did the bris I have a bris therefore I deserve that Hashem appears to me and so parenthetically you might ask me what about women ah right women don't have actually a circumcision so it says women have the same laws as men. 
that even though they are as uncircumcised, they are as if they've been circumcised. Women physiologically, I put it this way, women have it mainframed. Men have it as an option. <laughs> Men have it as like, you know, you buy a car, like you want the sunroof or not the sunroof? Back in the day, you want the sunroof, you don't want the sunroof. Like, you know, men have it. It's like, okay, I'll take the sunroof. Women, it's like, it's already, uh, what do you call it? It's a standard. It's on, it's on board already. It's in the matrix, in the framework already built in. It's almost like the way a man needs a honeydew list. Women, they know what needs to happen. Right? <laughs> come down and say, honey, like, here's the list. Take out the garbage. Like, walk the dog. The, bring in the mail. Bring up the, bring out the recycling, put out the garbage. So it's this, the car needs an oil change. They got your honey, you got your list. And then, okay, I got my list, a reminder. Got on my phone, my reminder. A woman knows what, what needs to happen. She's moving to this world, she'll go to the oil change. Like, or, 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 even if she forgets, it's all organically part of who she is innately. And so it's like, I'm not being gender specific, but here you see that the, the woman has the covenant innately. The men have so many mitzvahs just as reminders. Like as they look very beautiful, and they are. They, women are, I'm not going to lie, women are kind of missing out on tefillin. But it says women have tefillin on all the time. <laughs> you know, but it looks nice to have the black box and the straps and to do it, but you got to do it every day. It's a honeydew list that you can't miss a day. Like, oh, I forgot. But it's, it's, it's an innately, innately part of a woman. Are they not allowed to put on tefillin? Oh, it's a good question. So... There's a lot of discussion about that. So generally speaking today, the answer is yes, they're not allowed to. But there were certain women in the old days, so to say. I think the last woman we had like evidence of doing it the right way was about a thousand years ago. A woman cannot put on tefillin one time. A man could not put on tefillin one time either. We encourage the mitzvah one time. But once a woman does it one time, she is as if she's a man. And if she doesn't do it the next day, it's horrible. It's like a, it's a big gap in her consciousness. So a woman can't just say like, oh, I want to be like a man and play film. A woman has to do it. If you do it once, you do it every day. It's the way it is for a woman. A man is already has to do it by the time they're bar mitzvah, they have the obligation right away. So it says that women um, have a lot of reasons they don't put it on. Number one, they don't spiritually need to do it. So if they do it, it's like a gift to God. But if you're going to give a gift, you have to invest, you have to spend money, you have to put yourself out there, right? Just to do it because you want to is not a gift. Do it because it's a gift for Hashem, there has to be certain things. So one of the things is, is, is purity of body. So they have to have that going on, not during menstruation times and things like this, and mikvah, and there's a lot of things that have to go on for a woman to put film. It says Rashi's daughter, some say Rashi's daughter put film. She's one of the last ones we have evidence of. She lived in the years like 1100, 1200 times. But generally speaking, today we would say women are not allowed to put the film because it becomes incumbent upon them. One of the interesting things of women, why they don't do certain mitzvahs that men do, and also men don't do certain we're, we're talking about the way women don't do what men do, but men also don't do certain things that women do. But from that perspective, why, a lot of the things women don't do is because it's, they have an innate flow of energy. And that's literally like, I'm talking very essentially, but I'll give you the example time-bound mitzvahs. Mitzvahs that have to do, mitzvah, we're talking very existentially about the concept of a mitzvah. A mitzvah is a bond to God. It's not just a good deed. So when talking about a bond to God, there's certain mitzvahs, it's almost like there's quantum mechanics of mitzvahs. How do mitzvahs operate? Some mitzvahs operate that they're incumbent upon the individual. 
Some mitzvahs are incumbent upon the object. Some mitzvahs are incumbent upon both. Meaning to say, if I own a home, do I have to put mezuzahs up? Yes. What if I don't live in the home for 30 years? Do I have to have mezuzahs up? Yes. What is the, what is the um, mitzvah incumbent upon? The home. It's not incumbent upon me. I mean, it's coming on me to do it. But what is the mitzvah is? If I have a door jam in a home I haven't lived in in 30 years, but I own it, and I go there every 30 years, I have to have a mezuzah up on that door. Where does the mitzvah fall on? On the object, not on the person, per se. So that, so, and then, then the mitzvahs of time. How does time influence mitzvahs? Certain mitzvahs are very time-bound mitzvahs, right? Um, tefillin, you only put it during the day. You don't put it at night. I can't just decide, like right now, putting tefillin on. Oh, for God, I'm doing it for you. No, 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 no. It's time. So women are much more in sync with time. Menstrual cycles, cycles of life, birthing. They're much more time-oriented people. Did you ever see a woman load the dishwasher? They're not good with space. No. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Somewhat I'm joking. <laughs> it's interesting. But it's like literally like time-bound mitzvahs women don't have to do because they're way more in sync with time. Men are very into time-bound mitzvahs. Like where you have to keep time-bound mitzvahs. Other mitzvahs, like that's, that's why it's a question, Shabbos candles. Shabbos candles are very time-bound mitzvahs. Right. It it's a question. Right. It comes up. I'm getting to far off. But to understand it, everyone has a role. And it's interesting what Ben Shapiro said. <laughs> he said this. He said, roles. He said, God gave us all roles. And our role, and I always, I feel like he was quoting me. I say, Judaism, I don't say this is the meaning of life. I say, God, Judaism is a role-oriented religion. Each role is important. Equally important. But they're different. Like, you know, uh, I don't know. Jacob DeGrom can't decide he's playing first base. It's a pitcher. We're paying you. Hopefully they pay him again. We're paying millions of dollars to pitch. We're writing a contract for $200 million. Hopefully they don't pay him that much. But we're paying him $200 million to pitch. He says, you know, I'll play center field this day. It's like, no, 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 no. Starling Marte is our center fielder. Your job is to pitch. He says, no, no, I want to play. He says, no, no, no. He's like, well, it's a very valuable uh, position to be in. He says, we need, Stalin, we need a center fielder, but you're not him. We need a pitcher, and you are him. We need each level of you. Each one's important. You can't fill the team without a center fielder also. You need each one to be able to fill their distinct role. And each role is equally as important. Sometimes a person mans up, and they're Jacob DeGrom pitcher, and sometimes they're, uh, you know, Armando Benitez, and they just, like, you know, cough up the biggest game in their life every time they go out there. You know, it's the worst of the worst. But you need a pitcher, you need a center fielder, and how you fulfill your role is a different thing. Some guys make 20 million, some guys make 40 million. Scherzer makes 40 million, why? He's clearly better than the guy who's $20 million, hopefully. So the point of this is, is to understand Judaism is a role-oriented religion, and each role is essential. How we fulfill the role is really up to us. But women should rejoice in their role, men should rejoice in their role, men should not try and be women, women should not try and men, children. Children should not try and be parents. This is a big role that has been breached, I think, in, especially in America and the West, is that children should be children. They should be rec representative of their role. It's beautiful. Like, don't, how, many how many people would you say, say, if you remember when you would be a child and you knew to be a child, like, 
if you knew to be more present as a child in your childhood, how happy would you be? You know, like be that childlike vitality. You know, you know, people say I wasted my youth, right, right? But really, what it is is saying you never. A lot of people are not allowed to be children. In the early days of America, people weren't allowed to be children because they had to work. Everyone had to work. Work, 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 work. You know, in Judaism, we pride ourselves on education and and character development. But in the Western world, it was work, especially in America. Now children are being deprived of their childhood by like being exposed to everything and anything and they're not allowed to be like jovial and wondrous and uh have imaginations about things now we shove adult topics down their throats such a young age it becomes taking their children take the role of a child away from the child themselves so being child is a beautiful thing enjoy that moment they have a special thing in fact that's a good segue into the last paragraph on 63 there's a famous uh sage and he says I want to pray like a child prays. When I daven, I wish I could pray like a child. It says that the children have pure voices, pure breath, pure air, pure prayers, pure thoughts. Children don't know about the higher spiritual realms and all the complexities involved, nor are they confused by the negativity in the world. A child who's allowed to be a child, who's not corrupted or not, you know, um, oppressed or not uh, you know um, you know sullied by the world child who's not had trauma their light just like emanates from them it just comes out when they pray it's just like the best prayers ever I'll never forget this one time I was in Los Angeles and there was an older Russian Hasid who was not raised religious but he came religious and he was Probably in his 60s, 70s years old. I mean, he had a very beautiful face. Like you saw the guy, you saw he's like a holy guy. He was, didn't do anything special. He was a he nice guy, very spiritual guy. So I was there for the high holidays in Los Angeles. So after the high holidays, I, saw, I didn't see him in shul. So I said to him, uh, where'd you go? Like, you know, I'm diving here on Shabbos all the time. I didn't see you Rosh Hashanah. So he says, oh, I walked to the yeshiva. As he walked to the yeshiva, it's on the other side of Los Angeles, on the other side of the city. What do you walk all the way there for, you know? He says, have you ever heard a 14-year-old boy pray on the high holidays before? It's the most beautiful sound you've ever heard. To hear the sweetness of a boy who's just bar mitzvah, because you can't lead the prayers unless you're bar mitzvah. But to hear a teenager, young boy lead the prayers for the first time on the high holidays, like you never heard anything purer than that in your life. He's like, I walk there every year just to hear them pray. Sorry. I was like, wow, it's an amazing yeah. answer. I was like, wow, it's a good, good thing. And um, actually this year I was speaking to somebody, um, actually last week, and he said to me that your boys, Shmuel and Zalman, he's like, you have your own choir going on there. And they sing. I don't ask, them, I don't tell them to sing. Like they come to high holiday services by me. I don't say, Shmuel, you better sing this part. Zalman, sing that part. They just sing. It comes out of them. The prayers come out of them. And you hear the way they pray too, and they have their, you know, little squeaks and raspy voice and this and that. But it's like you hear their prayers. It's not like when they hit a wrong note, you're like, "Ow!" You're like, "Ah!" Oh. That's like the pureness. The, the the they're like a conduit, the same way Avram was a conduit. It just lets it out. They sing, and what are they singing towards? Sing to Hashem. You ask a kid, well, "Who are you praying to?" God. It's a question. What do you mean, who am I praying to? He's like, "Well, what do you think about God?" Well, well, well where are you directing your prayers? God. Like, what are you going to answer? The higher world of this energy level of the... No. 
God, they're not asking for a bigger bank account. They're not asking for uh, issues in their life, hopefully. They're asking for purely things. So an interesting thing is, and we'll conclude with this, on top of 64, it's not only true in spiritual matters, prayers to Hashem, but also a physical activity is eating and drinking. Children, why do they eat? Because I'm hungry. Or because it tastes good. We eat because like, it doesn't have as much carbs as that other food, or whatever it is. We eat for reasons. Oh, the steak is, oh, you know how the steak is made? Oh, the spices, the seasoning. We eat for the materiality of the food. The children eat for the actual materiality of the food, not for the spice and the seasoning, the superficial materiality. They eat because they're hungry. Why does it taste good? Because it's sweet. Why does it taste good? Because it's uh, whatever it, it is. It just is. They eat. And also, when we train a child to say blessings on food, if you train your child young, like I have, thank God, you see they say the blessing automatically. Either they completely don't even like remember, or they like literally just take it in their hand and not even think, like it's just like an innate, like, they say it. And like, you don't even know they said it. They're just like, it's like you say a blessing? Like, yeah. I'm like, I have to sit there, Baruch They, who do we, you know? The famous story of Abaya and Rava, two of the sages of, of the Talmud. And they had children sitting in front of Rava. And they said to the child, who do we bless after we're eating? He said, the merciful God, Hashem. He says, where does he, where does he, where is God? Sort of say, where is God? And Rava pointed up to the roof. Abaya pointed to the sky. And the people say, a child instantly recognizes the wisdom and says, God is God. Like God's not anywhere. God's not up there. God's not there. He says, God is Hashem. And the child has this. And Avraham, by having the bris, which now we have as children, we're not 99, thank God. <laughs> and we're not Arabs. You know when Arabs have a bris? 13. Why do Arabs have a bris at 13? Yishmael. The older son of Abraham has a bris at 13. So where do you think Jewish might in practice? surgeries but <laughs> what but but we have it at eight years old eight eight years old eight days old thank god eight days old as a child they're ready to take that godly energy and that fusion of spiritual material so now we have the answer to our story a little bit that the appearance of god is relevant to every single jew whereas you might think it's just avraham not only because it's a pronoun but it exists within every single jew where does that power come from why do we have this ability? From the bris. And the answer is, just like Avraham Avinu, why don't we have the same re revelation? Well, guess what? The answer is really going to be answered with Mashiach. It says that every single Jew is a spark of Mashiach. And what is Mashiach? It's the culmination of making a dwelling place for God in this world. And when the culmination of the dwelling place for God is made in this world, each one of us actualizes the eventual fusion of spiritual and material. So we'll leave it there. And uh, thank you so much for coming.